uh, last week we had our uh, child dedication service, and uh, I ministered a message uh, with the title, The Power of Blessing. And I kind of sensed that uh, God wanted us to carry on a little bit along these lines. Uh, so today is the second message in this little mini-series, if we can call it that, The Power of of blessing, uh, and the word blessing there is used as a verb. It's a doing word rather than the noun. Uh, and we talked about uh, the fact that we have power to bless other people by speaking words of blessing to them and over them. And I would like to read that key scripture again out of the book of Numbers, chapter 22, um, chapter 6, rather, verse 22. And it says here, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron and to his sons saying, this is the way you shall bless the children of Israel. Say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you peace. So they shall put my name on the children of Israel and I will bless them. Wonderful uh, truth here that can be practiced by anybody or everybody, but particularly for ourselves as believers. Uh, what a wonderful uh, power that we have at our disposal to bless other people. When we do, God says, uh, you're putting my name on the people you're blessing, and God says, I will bless them. Um, and so that's fantastic. Very briefly, we said when it says the Lord bless you, it means God's goodwill towards you. The Lord keep you means God's protection over you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you means that God's favor is on your life. God be gracious to you. It means that God's grace is extended towards you. Uh, the Lord lift up his countenance upon you, which means that God smiles over you. And it says the Lord give you peace. And we did say that that word peace there comes from the Hebrew word shalom, which means not just a peace in a sense of a greeting, but it means a whole lot of other things. Shalom means uh, that there is nothing missing, that there is nothing broken. It includes prosperity. It includes protection. It includes everything that God wants us to have. And let me encourage you, you parents, when you're sending out your children in the morning, whether they go to school or wherever they head, rather than worrying throughout the day if they're going to be okay, just pray this blessing over them, and you know they're going to be okay because words are very, very powerful. So this morning I would like to pick up um, in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5, and have a look at some of the words that Jesus spoke in regards to our, our power to bless other people. Um, and here in Matthew chapter 5, verse 43, Jesus speaking, he says, You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, that he will make uh, for he makes the, his son to rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet your brethren only, what do you more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so. Therefore, you shall be perfect just as your father in heaven is perfect. 
All right, so here, the words of Jesus, uh, plucked out of a sermon that he preached uh, uh, early on in his ministry. They call it the Sermon on the Mount. Sermon on the Mount included the Beatitudes, uh, included this portion here, and actually much of this sermon, which, which happens to be the longest sermon that he preached, and gosh, he packed a lot in. All right. He taught much about character development uh, in this uh, sermon right there. And Jesus re-emphasized some of the scriptures from the Old Testament that spoke about love. Um, and then he ratcheted up the application in our everyday life. You know, what's interesting is that Jesus says, you have heard it say, but I say to you. You know, sometimes people think that when the New Testament teaches that you shall love your neighbor as yourself, that that's New Testament teaching, but actually it isn't. It was already there in the Old Testament. It says, you've heard it say, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Um, in fact, how does it go exactly? Let me have a look. He says, uh, you shall love, uh, let me start again. You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, I need to point out to you that there is actually no scripture anywhere that licenses us to hate our enemy. And what's going on here is that the people that Jesus was speaking to, they had a mixture of the written word of God, which is uh, in the Old Testament, you know, they call it the Torah, which is the Old Testament, uh, the law. And then they also had the teachings of the rabbi, uh, which was sometimes referred to as the oral teaching. And it seems to me that... Uh, you know, the written law says, love your neighbor, and then the rabbis taught him, it's okay, uh, love your neighbor, but it's okay to hate your enemy. And so there's kind of a mixture. And sometimes people got some scripture in their lives, but it's still mixed up with faulty philosophy, uh, with tradition. And we need to do away with philosophy. We need to do away with tradition and embrace the truth of God's word fully. Uh, we shouldn't have a mixture of, and this is exactly what these guys had. They had a mixture of. And Jesus, as it were, spoke into all of that, and he said, look, you guys have heard it say, you know, love your neighbor and hate your enemies, but I say to you, I, I say to you. So Jesus' teaching is now to purify the people from all the mixture of, you know, a little bit of God's word and, and then worldly tradition and everything, to purify them of the worldly tradition and to really get them into God's word fully. I say to you, Jesus said. So in other words, Jesus was saying to them, you've heard some of this before, but you haven't understood it, and you're not living it. It's been said that some of the highest moral teaching that uh, Jesus brought forth is actually contained right there in this one sermon. Jesus taught other things later on, uh, but the Sermon on the Mount, gosh, he packed a lot in, uh, and he spoke, about, uh, he spoke about a lot of character stuff, kind of a lot of hard issues. Jesus wasn't speaking about the economy. He wasn't speaking about current affairs. He wasn't speaking about a lot of these other things. He just spoke about hard issues, our heart before God. He says, you heard some of this before, but you're not living it. Instead of hating your enemies, Jesus says, love them. Now, that was radical. That was absolutely radical. Instead of, uh, rather, he says, those who curse you, he says, why don't you bless them? Those who hate you, why don't you do good to them? And those who spitefully 
use you and persecute you, he says, pray for them. Now, this is radical to these people. This is absolutely radical. Um, and then in the middle of this passage here, he says, so that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He says, this is how you demonstrate that you are children of our Father. Because he makes the sun to rise on the just and on the unjust. He makes the rain to come on the good and on the wicked. Your father is good to everybody. Friends or enemies, for that matter, says, why don't you stop being good to everybody, friends or enemies? And of course, he carries on. He says, because if you're only good to each other and friendly to each other, he says, what more are you doing than what the tax collectors are doing? Tax collectors, of course, were amongst the most hated groups of people in Israel at that time because typically they were Jews and they were working for the Romans, um, collecting taxes. Uh, they were kind of considered as traitors. He says that even the tax collectors are doing that. He says, uh, if you only like, you know, nice to, to people that, uh, that are your friends, um, he says, therefore, you shall be perfect uh, as your Father in heaven is perfect. So in other words, you... Jesus is saying, you will be recognized as God's children by the words of blessing that you speak to your enemies. You will be recognized by the actions of love that you demonstrate towards them. And actually what's amazing, in fact, we haven't got time to, to re-preach the whole sermon that Jesus presented on that day, but just a little bit earlier on, a um, couple of verses back, Jesus says, if somebody compels you to go one mile, why don't you go two? And you know, that concept has uh, worked its way into the English everyday language where we talk about going the second mile. How many of you have heard this saying before, going the second mile? Well, there's an interesting thing going on here. Um, the Romans were obviously occupying Israel. They were occupying that area of the Middle East. And they were the oppressing... Um, force, if you like. They were not like. They were the enemy. Um, and according to Roman law, when a Roman soldier, or I understand even a Roman citizen, when they were traveling somewhere, and they would usually carry a pack, they could call anybody they come across uh, from the locals there and make them carry their pack for a mile. And I understand that uh, the way that the Romans built the roads in those days, that every mile there was a marker. And uh, they knew when the mile started, and they knew when the mile finished. And people that were somewhere along the road, if a Roman soldier said, come here and carry my pack, they had to, by law, carry that pack and help them along for one mile. And what would people typically do? They would, they would hate them for it. And then they will carry a mile because this is what they had to do. And then they will later pack down and walk away and probably mumble or grumble under their breath. And now Jesus is saying, he says, if somebody compels you to walk with them one mile, which was the Roman people, says, why don't you do two? Well, this is radical. They knew exactly who he was talking about. He didn't so much name them uh, as, as the Romans, but he, that's who he was referring to. The Romans were the enemy. So it's like suddenly like, wow, this is different. This is not what the rabbis have taught us. 
The rabbis taught us that we can love our enemy and hate, uh, love our neighbor and hate our enemy, but Jesus says, no, that's never been God's plan. All right? And so Jesus takes the, the whole concept of blessing. You know, it's easy to bless our friends, bless our family members, but now he's saying, no, 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 you go beyond and you bless your enemies. <laughs> love your enemies. <laughs> You know, I've got to be honest. Uh, I've got to be real honest here this morning. And I, uh, with some of our current politicians, uh, some of them, I just don't like them. I do not like them. But I love them. <laughs> All right. It's okay to not like somebody and love them. And love is a decision. Love is not a feeling. So we love them. We pray for them. We bless them. We bless the prime minister. We bless all the cabinet. We bless the opposition party. We bless those that are in there that have done a duty on us in the last election. We bless them anyway. But the next election is coming. We have an opportunity. <laughs> uh, is everybody right this morning? Praise God. All right. It says, go the second mile. Can I just insert a comment right there? that our success in life, in, in the business world, in the marketplace, in friendships that we have, even in our family life, depends on us going the second mile. If we always only do what we have to do, em employees that only do what they have to do are not good employees. Employers who only do the bare minimum of what they have to do are not good employers. We are the second milers. In fact, sometimes that's a term that we use around here when you know we invite somebody, encourage somebody to come into, a, into an area of leadership. We're looking for second milers. <laughs> and God's looking for second milers. Even in the whole area of when we talk about tithes and offering, tithe is the minimum. The offering is the second mile. And people say, oh, that's as far as what we're going to go. Well, if you go the second mile, that's where the, that's the, that's the, see, the first mile is mandatory, but the second mile becomes the miracle territory. That's where things really begin to flow when we go the extra mile. So let me encourage you, my brother, my sister, if you're not already one now, become an extra miler. That's just who we are. I reckon when any employer anywhere in the whole wide world is looking for an employee, they ought to look in amongst the Christians. That would be like, uh, that would be like uh, because the Christians ought to be the second milers. Sad to say, it's not quite the case just yet, but we are changing it. Okay. <laughs> Praise God. Anyway, I'm moving along. Some of you are like, what's he talking about here today? so that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. It says you prove, you demonstrate that you're truly the children of God, not just because you've said a little prayer, but because you go the extra mile. You love your enemies. You bless those who curse you. You do good to those who spitefully use you and persecute you um, and so forth. So Jesus is really saying that if you claim to be one of God's children, you need to speak differently and you need to act differently to, compared to people in the world. 
it's just it's got to be a different. And sadly, you get around some Christian, listen to them, listen to them speak, listen to the conversation, and then you go around and find some people in the world who are worldly people, listen to them, you'd hardly tell any difference. But your speech and my speech, your action and my action is notches above to where other people are at. And God, there are some people that are wonderful who are yet not even saved, yet they understand the principle of what we are discussing here today. Now, I know you're excited about my preaching, but if you want to share your excitement with me by shouting a yes or an amen, that will just help me this morning. <laughs> so you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Now, that word perfect here is probably not the best translation uh, of the word uh, that we have here, it's uh, brought over from the Greek uh, word uh, teleos. And uh, the word mature is probably a better translation. So you shall be mature as your Father in heaven is mature. Teleos. You know, we recognize the word tele. Uh, everybody knows the word telescopic telescopic, whether that's a telescopic lens on a camera that you can push it out and you, it works better, you see, you see things closer, or whether that's a, a telescopic pole when you're washing down the house and you want to reach further up and you pull it out. And, and Jesus is really saying, he says, when you're fully extended out in your maturity, this is what you do. I carry around with me in my tool case uh, a, a little telescopic stick Stainless steel, nice and shiny. I never use it, but I carry it around because I like it. It's got a little magnet at the end. Um, and uh, I wonder why I carry it around. I mean, what would you use it for? I suppose if, you, if I, you know, do some, some fastening something and I drop a nail or a screw, if I don't want to bend down, I just pull this thing out and I reach down and everything. But I never use it because I can bend down. I mean, I can bend now and I'll be able to bend in 30 years' time. It's no problem. Um, but anyway, I carry it around and, and, and every now and then, uh, like once every 18 months, I pull it out and I extend it fully out and then I put it back in. I really like it. Put it back into my tool case. A couple of people have picked up my tool case, you know, like with my hammer and with my saw, a couple, you know, few screwdrivers, I carry a separate uh, bag for that, and over here I got a couple of chisels, and somebody picked up and said, gosh, what have you got in there? Those are nice tools, and, and that's one of them, my little telly stick, um, and uh, <laughs> you know, if it were as easy as uh, just being able to extend it fully out to its full end reach, but you know, maturity takes time, friends. You know, God, when we got born again, God hasn't fully extended out in our maturity because maturity takes time. That root word there is also sometimes used when fruit is grown. It starts with a flower, and then it develops into a fruit, and then, you know, the fruit is on the vine, or the fruit is on the tree, and it develops, and then it's fully mature, and then you can pluck it and, and eat it. And, uh, and Jesus is saying, when you're fully mature as Christians, this is how you act. You love your enemies. You don't just love your friends. You bless people, whether they're good to you or whether they're not good to you. This is what full maturity really, really looks like. 
And of course, <laughs> I've got to be honest, that's a tough, that's a tall order. Like I've mentioned before that when I'm driving on the road and like uh, that's, that's my, my sanctification gets tried a little bit. And, uh, and sometimes I swallow and I say, oh, bless you. Bless you. And I feel like saying something else and I say, bless you, you know, like because that's what Jesus commands me to do. I don't feel like saying it, but, you know, in the end, it's not what we feel like doing. It's what we do in the end that counts. And have you noticed, we don't even get judged in terms of our intentions. You know, many, all of us have got good intentions, but it's in the outworking of it. Uh, at the end, you know, the truth is told. So let me encourage you, my friend, to, to be a teleos, to be a mature one. See, friends, our Christian maturity is not measured in what we know, but it's what we apply. I'm not speaking against knowledge because we absolutely believe that, you know, knowledge is important. But if we had to choose, and we don't have to, but if we had to choose between a lot of knowledge and a little application and having less knowledge and more application, we should really choose the less knowledge and the more application if we had to choose. But we don't have to. We're going to have both. Um, in fact, knowledge, we get knowledge and then we apply that knowledge, and that's how we mature, that's how we grow, and that's how, you know, we get extended out. It's as if I can use that example with my shiny little tool. You know, we, we, we listen to another message. Even though we've heard stuff like this before, we get extended out a bit more, and we go away, and we apply that truth in our lives, and we might, you know, we might just stumble a couple of times, but say, no, we're going to do this. We're going to do this, and then we get extended out, and in the end, one day, our maturity will be fully extended out. In fact, I'm thinking I could actually bring my little tool with me and I could use it to point. Uh, the fact that it's got a magnet at the end doesn't matter. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> See, our pedigree as children of God is proven by the way that we imitate our Father. God is such a good God. God is such a good God. And sometimes people get confused. They read the Old Testament and say, oh, God's pretty mean. No. I mean, in the Old Testament under the Old Covenant, you know, judgment can some, came sometimes pretty swift. Uh, but now in the New Testament, we're in the age of grace. God's grace is extended towards people. And uh, I mentioned it before, but because all the judgment that ever needed to come was all laid on Jesus Christ. When they hung him on the cross. All the judgment uh, that was due to mankind all around was all laid on Jesus. Jesus carried our sins. He carried our wrongdoings. He carried our transgressions. And he carried it all the way to the cross. He carried our sicknesses. He carried our diseases. He carried our poverty. The chastisement of our peace, or necessary to obtain our peace, was laid on Jesus. It's all spelled out in Isaiah chapter 53 was all laid on Jesus. So now God legally can be good to you and good to me and extend his grace towards us because all judgment was laid on Jesus Christ. When Jesus first came into ministry at age 30 and after a lengthy period of fasting and praying out in the wilderness, he came into his hometown and he stood up in the in the synagogue there in, in Nazareth. Um, and he got up to read the Scripture, and he found himself the passage of Scripture from the Old Testament. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. 
God has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are bruised, and to preach the year of the favor and of the grace of God. And that's why, you know, when Jesus' birth is mentioned, it speaks about that he came with grace and truth. You know, Moses in the Old Testament uh, was the man to, to whom God gave the law, the Ten Commandments and the law, and Moses was a lot about judgment. Do this wrong and this is going to happen. Do that wrong and that's going to happen. But Jesus came to preach forgiveness, to preach the mercy and the love of God, and to preach the grace of God. And that's why God can be gracious to you and God can be gracious to me. And the whole point is that you be gracious with one another. You know, love your neighbors. And as the people that Jesus was speaking to, they uh, said, you know, you've heard it say, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. You know, for some Christians, they don't even hate their enemies. They love their, they, 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 hate their, they hate other people. They hate family members and so forth. And, and God says, get out of that. Get out of that. It's okay to not like somebody, but you've got to love them. And for some people, I've worked out over the years to, for, to, to help me love some people, sometimes a little distance can, that can be created between them and me sort of helps me to love them a bit more. <laughs> it's okay to create some distance. You know, if you read the book of Proverbs, you will find that there are certain people that we ought not to hang out with. And some of our people in our vicinity fall into that category. Bible says, don't hang out with fools lest you become like one. Don't hang out with a violent man. Don't hang out with a cheat. Now, we reach out. We can do all of that. But in terms of kicking around together and doing a lot of stuff together and relaxing and letting that thing spill into our lives, God says, you better watch that. So the message from Jesus, you are children of God, so be like God. Love your enemy. Do good to them. Be imitators of God. And here in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, therefore be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love. Be imitators of God and walk in love. As Christ has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. And friends, we know this, but can I reiterate it again? Jesus Christ is the ultimate model of what a son of God looks like. That Jesus died for us while we were still enemies of God. He died for us anyway. Jesus even prayed for his executors who cursed him and spitefully used him. And... Uh, he says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And amazingly, uh, was it Stephen the martyr in the book of Acts, a uh, few chapters later on, he says, Lord, do not lay this, uh, you know, do not charge them with this sin. He says, praying for the people that in the end killed them. That's amazing maturity. That's what fully extended out maturity looks like. <laughs> I don't know where you're at in your 
extended maturity. I'm, I'm a little bit here, you know, I'm trying to stretch a bit further and, uh, and then I, I don't try to, uh, try to resist getting myself squished back down again to where I was, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago. We're all on a journey, and, uh, but the plan is to extend fully out so that we become just like Jesus. He's our model. You know, we, compare, we don't compare ourselves with each other. You know, the Bible does say that we can imitate the faith of our leaders and we can, we can get inspired by brothers and sisters in the Lord, but ultimately we compare ourselves with Jesus Christ, which means that everyone's still got a little ways to go. All right? So we, 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 we keep moving. We keep pressing in. We keep striving for greater growth in our lives. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 12. Here's Paul weighing in on this whole thing with the blessing um, and what that looks like. Paul wrote a letter to the Corinthian church, and uh, he says here in verse 12, he says, We do work hard, toiling with our own hands, when we are verbally abused, we respond with a blessing. When persecuted, we endure. When people lie about us, we answer in a friendly manner. Now, I don't know about you, but that's way out there. That's beyond where I'm at right now. Like when people lie about me, I get a bit hacked off. You know, when... <laughs> And people verbally abuse me. It's like, oh, you know. Um, but this is what Paul's talking about. Actually, what's really interesting, if we understand that Paul is actually speaking about himself and about his small group of traveling companions, himself and Apollos, and he's speaking that to the Corinthian church. And what had happened was that the Corinthian church, the people there had really lacked maturity. You know, boy, they were really prolific in the area of functioning in the gifts, prophecy, tongues, they were right into it, and it's good to do that, but they lack maturity. You know, one thing that I've observed over the years is, uh, it's, uh, I don't know how this works, I'm still trying to figure it out. You get alongside a believer that's been in what we might call a historic church, might not even be considered what we would call spirit-filled you get amongst them, and gosh, they're so developed in their character. They're loving. They're just kind. Thinking, how does that work? That's amazing. And then you get in amongst uh, some of the Pentecostals and the Charismaniacs uh, over here. They talk about the power. We're into the power. We prophesy. We use the gifts. And yet they've got no character. How does that work? All the Holy Spirit, so-called, that you would ever need, demonstrated with all the gifts, yet there's no character there. How does that work? And this is actually what went on in the Corinthian church. And amazingly, when Paul the apostle speaks to them about, you know, the gifts, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 lists all the nine gifts of the Spirit, talks about callings, Ministry officers, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teacher, miracle workers, ministry helps. And then in chapter 14, he speaks about tongues and prophesying. 
And right in between those two chapters, he puts in chapter 13, which is what we call the love chapter. Love is patient and kind. Love takes no account of a wrong done to it. And Paul is speaking to these Corinthian believers about some character issues. He says, you, you guys come behind in no good gift, but you're lacking in this. You're quarreling. You're fighting amongst each other. When it's time to be, you know, have communion, one guy turns up drunk, another guy's quarreling and says, what is it with you people? <laughs> now, I'm really preaching good this morning, and some of you are really, like, starting to chew me out. This is really concerning me now. <laughs> What had happened was that uh, the Corinthian church were visited by some what we call Judaizers. They are trying to get the people back under the law of Moses. Some of them were saved. Some of them were not. They just tried to basically uproot all the seed that Paul had planted. And they were saying some really unkind things about Paul. And sadly, some of the Corinthian church members were starting to repeat some of those things. Others only listened to the criticism, but some started to repeat it. And it is right into this setting that Paul speaks these words. And he says, when we are verbally abused, we respond with a blessing. He says, you guys really have abused us, but we respond with a blessing. When people lie about us, we answer in a friendly manner. Friends, this is maturity, no matter what anybody tries to describe it. This is like way, way out there. You know, friends, when we become mature Christians, we no longer actively engage in fault-finding, in gossip, in criticism, nor will we passively listen to those who speak in such manner. There's like we just, we just rise up. We will not allow our ears to be filled with people's critical spirits, people's critical comments. It's like we just separate or we say, look, uh, we either push back or we move out of the way. Uh, and we most certainly do not repeat criticism. You know, it's interesting, but uh, nowadays, with the digital world, the internet and everything, if you... Try to Google, and I'm not say, suggesting you should, but if you try to Google any Christian that's done anything for God anywhere and just put in their name and maybe another word of gossip that you might have heard, inevitably there will be pages and pages and pages of stuff that comes up about how bad they are, how they have failed in all directions. And some people have gone off the rails, and, uh, but I'm not sure if the Internet... Uh, is the place to air all of these things myself. I, I personally don't bother. People say, have you heard? I says, no, no, I haven't. And honestly, I don't, I don't want to hear it. You know, I hold this person in high esteem. Uh, you know, they've blessed us 10 years ago, 15 years ago. I mean, if they've you know, gone sideways, we pray for them, but uh, don't want to listen to critical comments. I'm not really, not really all that interested. I, I don't want my heart polluted with somebody's critical comments. And somebody's judgmental. You know, that whole judging thing is a big thing, friends. Boy, sometimes, uh, you know, like people are quick to judge. And, and, and the Bible teaches us, Paul says, judge yourself that you will not be judged. Jesus says, judge not. And so we, we, we rise above all of that. We are the, the, the risen ones. We rise above 
a lot of that nonsense, and we do not engage in fault-finding and making critical comments and uh, a lot of that other gossip stuff, you know, stuff that does the rounds and goes around and everything. We, we, we don't engage in that, nor do we listen to it. You know, the Bible speaks about a root of bitterness that rises up. Is it the book of Hebrews? He says, a root of bitterness that rises up that many people will be defiled. There are people running around, and some of them are Christians. They've got a root of bitterness in their life. If they're not critical about one person, they will be critical about somebody else because that's just that root of bitterness. They've never yanked out that root. They've never yanked out that uh, offense. And, you know, there's people run, running around, and gosh, some bad stuff happens. But they've been let down and disappointed by a few pastors in their lifetime. Now, every pastor is bad as far as they're concerned. And they're just ranting and raving about the badness of pastors. And, you know, I said there are some, some bad pastors, but most of them are good ones. All right? There are some bad ones, but most of them are good ones. I know a lot of them. Most of them are good ones. Most of them are trying their very best to serve God and to shepherd God's people and to teach the flock and to lead believers and so forth. And, uh, and uh, it's why don't we pray for them? Why, why, why don't we commit to no longer criticize? Why don't we pray for them? Why don't we bless them? Why don't we learn to speak blessings over their lives? They will function better if we speak blessing over their lives. I don't know how I got into all of that, but anyway, here we are. So as fully extended out, mature Christians, we no longer actively engage in fault-finding, gossip, or criticism, nor will we passively listen to others who speak such words. Let me swing into the book of James. James chapter 3, and we touched on it last week, uh, quoted a portion. I just thought we actually visit that area and... Uh, Let's just see what James is teaching us around this whole area. Because um, James, I sometimes call, call him the man that hits you right between the eye. James is not one to mince words. He will just, you know, just straight up, um, fairly straight, fairly direct. And here it is, James chapter 3, verse 5. He says, so too is the tongue. Uh, he says, it's a small part of the body, yet it has great pretensions. Think how small a fire sets a huge forest ablaze, and the tongue is a fire. The tongue represents the world of wrongdoings amongst the parts of our bodies. It pollutes the entire body and sets fire to the course of human existence, and it is set on fire by hell. It's interesting that uh, as far as James's teaching is concerned, he reckons that this little member in our mouth here is actually the worst one out of all the members in our whole body. Hands, feet, and other members that people use to do wrong things. And sometimes people say, well, you know, I haven't used my hands to steal from anybody. I haven't committed acts of violence. But yet their words that they've spoken amount to the very same thing. Instead of blessing people, they've cursed people. Instead of speaking well about others and finding good things to say, they keep on repeating the bad that they've heard. And sometimes they <laughs> haven't just heard the bad, they've just made it up. Some people just plain make up stuff. Just have no basis, but they, you know, that's what they do. So James carries on here. He says, uh, 
For every kind of animal, bird, reptile, and sea creature is subdued and has been subdued by human humankind, but no human being can subdue the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. People say, oh, well, what's the point in trying if no human being can do it? We can do it with the help of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> That's why I believe becoming spirit-filled, which is, which is a secondary experience, past, you know, getting, getting born again when we are baptized with the Holy Spirit, with the evidence of speaking in tongues. Speaking in tongues a lot weans ourselves off of criticizing others. That's why when I get around people that criticize a lot, I say, you don't speak in tongues much because you, you can't do that and that at the same time, it's, you know, usually one or the other. He says, it is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless the Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people made in God's image. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. These things should not be so, my brothers and sisters. A spring does not pour out fresh water and bitter water from the same opening, does it? Can a fig tree produce olives, my brothers and sisters, or a vine produce figs? Neither can a salt water spring produce fresh water. Now, it is very clear that James is not speaking about people in the world. He, he says, my brothers and sisters. He's speaking to the born-again believers, the brothers and sisters who are acting in this way. And Paul, as it were, uh, James confronts all of that, and he says, look, he says, it is no good. He says that one minute we bless God with our words, and in the same mouthful we turn around and we curse somebody with our words. By the way, gossip is words of curses. Criticism, but just criticizing for the sake of criticizing. You know, sometimes things have to be addressed. Don't get me wrong, but it's the spirit that it's done with that actually curses. Speaking words. And I say this again, parents, be careful what you speak over your children. Because only uh, speaking about the bad behavior only reinforces the bad behavior. We need to speak blessing. We need to speak the answer rather than the problem. So, James sort of speaks right into the middle of all of that. And he talks about a spring. That he says, even in nature, a spring will either bring forth, you know, salt water or what they sometimes call bitter water, which is bitter water was uh, kind of water that uh, not only tasted bitter to the, to the taste, but it was actually poisonous. He says, it doesn't do that. And then five minutes later, bring forth fresh water. It's either the one or it's the other. And friends, for you and I as believers, we train ourselves that our mouth no longer pours forth bitter water. We only bring forth fresh, life-giving water. Very quickly now, I turn to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. And here is Paul speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He's saying, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth but what is good for necessary edification that it may impart grace to the hearers. So here is the mandate for us. And if I can prepare to close the message from here, friend, you and I, the people of God, are mandated by God to speak blessing and blessing only. We don't speak curses. We, we only speak things that minister grace 
to the hearers and uplifting words. God's made us the kings and the priests in the earth. And we speak blessing over the country. We speak blessing over the government. We speak blessing even over the abortionists and all of these other people that we know that they're so wrong and could be considered the enemy of humankind. But the reality is a lot of them are so deceived, they're even thinking that they're doing mankind a favor. We speak blessing over all of that. And that's how we affect people's lives positively. That's how we affect our society. Remember when last week we talked about that the priest's job was to minister to God and then to bless the people. You and I, we minister to God and we bless the people. In Jesus' name. We're going to close right here. God bless you. Thank you for listening today. Uh, can I have the worship team come? And uh, we're now flowing on into uh, the last... Uh,